0: Microphone check one two. Seeing if my headset works. Microphone check one two. What is this?
1: Hey, Brady. Microphone check. We're good to go. I think. Can you hear me?
0: Excellent. Sounds good.
1: Yeah. Hey, throw the uh, links to those articles up there in the in the description.
0: Good idea. I'll I'll do that. If you want to introduce the topic real quick.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um. For those who will come in later and listen to this, we're going to be talking about... um, Oh, fuck. Okay, hold on. My computer's all unhappy. I don't know what's going on with my computer. It's having some serious problems. So I will read them off my phone, but we're going to be talking about two articles. One is talking about N-acetylcysteine, and the other is talking about turmeric or curcumin, uh, which I believe is... um, I guess that is the name of a uh, a compound that's contained within turmeric. Both of these articles pertain to the um, both of these articles pertain to these warning letters that the FDA has issued and actually often issues to the manufacturers of health products. So these are something that you might find in, um, like a supplement store, like super supplements or GNC or something like that, or whatever it happens to be in your, um, local area. Uh, I'm also just really quickly, I'm going to invite people to come and listen to the show. Um, yeah, man, my computer is really fucking having some issues. I think it's probably because I never ever close, uh, Google Chrome and I always have a zillion, Web pages open for work and for like reading and for other shit that I have to do. Um, that would be my guess as to why my computer is shitting the bed. But oh, so we've got uh, Vlad and Angie, Karen, uh, welcome in. Uh, Brady's just upda- updating the um, the episode description with a couple of articles. Uh, I just did a intro. Hey, what's up, Josh? I, I just already did an intro for anyone who might come back and listen. But I'll I'll say it again. We're going to be talking a little bit about. Um, these FDA warning letters. And we're we're reviewing essentially two articles about these. One article pertains to N-acetylcysteine, which is a supplement that um, Brady has talked about a lot. I had never heard of it before. Brady mentioned it on his show before. Um, And the other article we talk about is something that's a lot more well-known to people, which is turmeric and curcumin, which is um, in Spanish. Turmeric is called curcuma. Or it may be like a cousin of turmeric. It's uh, it's related to ginger. For those of you who have only had it in the powder form, um, turmeric root fresh is really, really good. Um, I, if you're going to use it for seasoning like you would turmeric powder, do it fresh. It's just better. Um, anyways, uh, the FDA will often issue warning labels if they feel a manufacturer of any type of health product is out of compliance with the law regarding marketing and uh and and making claims about the health product and the uh, fda has just issued some warning letters with products containing uh turmeric they've also not only issued warning letters but they've opened like a more sturdy investigation into um n-acetylcysteine because two different sort of uh health focused consumer groups um made a uh, sort of a formal complaint or a request to the FDA to make a ruling on N-acetylcysteine because it's been very common in, um, marketed as a, as a health supplement for about 30 years. And so they basically said they wanted clarity. Um, before I keep going on, I, I have opinions, thoughts about the articles and the general, um, realm, especially when with regards to turmeric. I, I'm, I have, I think, more substantive things to say about it, but Brady, why don't you go ahead, if you're if you're there and you're hands-free, um, tell us what your take on the articles was and um, however you want to set up the topic generally, because I think there's so much we could say about FDA practices, health supplements, people's health in general, especially in the United States. There's, there's always a lot of talk about how we're very kind of over, over medicated. <clears throat> there's more, uh, health science and nutritional science than ever. And also the population is just getting more and more obese and there's a number of co-occurring, um, really serious health risks risks with being very obese, but even, even if you're not super obese or obese or other things. Yeah.
0: I don't know if we lost connection for a second there but um yeah i'd like to start by talking oh, about hey, nac first
1: sorry i was just there talking you go. for a minute can everyone give us a thumbs up if you could hear what i was just saying or in case i was just talking to myself give us a thumbs down if you could not hear me
0: hmm. well I, I could not hear you for just a second but i can hear oh, you fine man, now you're, you're back seems like you're back yeah. so I, I can totally hear you now still no audio from your end but I can keep it going so we don't have dead air, at least. Um, um, the first and just until when, as soon as you're able to come back. Oh, it looks like he, yeah, he's able to mute at least. Um, yeah. Pop back in as soon as you're able or whenever you want to do a mic yeah. check. Um, but I want to start the episode with talking about NAC, uh, N-acetylcysteine. Andrew, if you want to do a mic check real quick, go for it. I think you're good. Anyway, he'll, he'll come in. But uh, NAC is something I started taking a few years ago because I was trying to quit cigarettes. Hey, can you hear and me? And I heard the NAC. That's good. We can hear you now.
1: Sorry. I, I'm, my app's really freaking out right now. I, all of my technology is boxed today. I don't know what's up.
0: Yeah, it's a little strange sometimes. Sometimes you really have to, like, restart the call-in app, just shut everything down and turn it back on. Uh, that's what I find tends to help, at least while they're working out the the bugs. But... <laughs> I started taking NAC myself personally to help me quit smoking cigarettes. I found that it helped a lot with that. It really helped to clear out my lungs, um, get rid of some of the mucus in there, um, made it a lot easier to resist cigarettes and not only cigarettes, but it made it easy to resist things like sugar, um, food in general, like when, you know, stress eating, I guess you would describe it as stress eating, um, Uh, I would just go much longer periods in the day before I even felt hungry and I would have plenty of energy. It would help me sleep better. Lots of really good things, but it was a very powerful medicine. It has some side effects. If you took too much of it on an empty stomach, you get a gnarly stomach ache. Um, you need to take it with some vitamin C to help you break it down. Um, take it with some food to mitigate that stomach ache issue I mentioned. Um, works really well. All you need to do is eat something with it. Um, if you do get a stomach ache, just eat some food, a, a, a piece of toast or whatever, and it goes away right away. Um, and then I did some research online and it looks like originally the reason the, well, I am kind of skipping ahead for there, but, um, I guess I'll start by saying, um, that during the beginning of the COVID pandemic, I speculated that it might be good for COVID. And, um, that was at least confirmed by a few doctors online who suggested that, um, NAC was good at fighting COVID in at least five scientifically verifiable ways, including, um, protection against DNA damage, um, protecting the lungs, um, a mucoloid, um, thinning the mucous membranes, helping the body to create antibodies actually as well, um, as well as an anti-inflammatory anti, um, antioxidant properties of NAC when it converts into glutathione. And so, um, sure enough, the FDA, um, issued a warning on NAC. Um, I believe it was in 2019 or 2020. It was in 2020 right after the, The COVID pandemic started. And the reasoning at the time I understood was because NAC was being marketed as a hangover cure. And for that reason, they wanted to remove it from the -the over-the-counter status. So they issued a warning letter. And at that point, um, all the stores in America that were um, selling NAC or any products containing NAC instantly pulled them from their shelves and Amazon followed suit the exact same way. And so it's increasingly difficult to acquire NAC these days. I think there's still a few places online. Um, so NAC is just one of the many substances the FDA recently um, released warnings for and issued wa- letters about. And uh, as Andrew mentioned, the second one is cir- uh, curcumin or curcumin. The active ingredient of turmeric. And I just think that's ridiculous Um, that, I mean, these are powerful medications. We should be educated about how to use them. This information should be provided on the bottle. I believe just like a lot of things, Um, including like side effects and proper usage and that kind of thing. Um, Andrew, do you have anything to say before we pop into a more in-depth dive of NAC?
1: Yeah, just give me a confirm if you can hear me.
0: Roger that. Loud, loud and clear on my end. Nice. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I guess um, with N-acetylcysteine, I almost, I, I almost feel like this is really parallel to what they did with, um, with stem cell treatments in the United States. Um, the way that the FDA works, I, I, and I'm not super knowledgeable on in the intricacies, but um, basically they, they will approve a drug as a new drug, and they will have a very strict definition of the limits of what that drug can be used for. And by drug, it's a broad definition. So you can get, um, oh, I forgot the the prefix. It's stem cells that are derived from your own own fat tissue. And hold on one second, sorry, Mike. My computer I really wanted to pull up a couple of articles about this and my
0: computer's been super finicky, so we'll see I what's actually got on. advertisements from YouTube back in the day. YouTube would send me advertisements about like garage laboratories to create your own stem cells from your fat cells where like oh, rich wow. people can like do it themselves in their garage. Yeah, they're trying to sell me the whole system for like a hundred K.
1: Yeah, the um so the the stem cells derived from adipose tissue or fat tissue, um, they are not the same things as uh, embryonic stem cells. They're also not the same thing as uh, the stem cells that can be derived from umbilical cords. And so all of these definitions are very strictly taken into account. So stem cells that you can derive from your own fat, and as Brady mentioned, you could you could actually just do this in your home. Uh, if, if we weren't regulating the substance or practice process this way in the United States, um, they, they, they open it up for a variety of uses. To my understanding, it's only for uh, uh, sort of exterior treatments. If you have like a really serious burn um, that would require something like a skin graft, you may also be able to have a treatment of... Um, of stem cells for that then doctors in clinics around the united states started using it for um, internal injuries so if you tear a ligament or your rotator cuff or something um, if you have a bad uh, car crash or bike crash and you have some serious issue in your uh, semi-heart or your or your bone tissue that tends to be much harder to heal you often will require surgery after years if it's not well attended to, but these, um, these stem cell treatments are very effective for these. The Japanese medical system is different where when they, when they, um, when their version of the FDA approves a drug, they also give a safety rating. And if it is within certain bounds of what they consider safety, then it can be used for a variety of different treatments. There aren't the same restrictions on it as, um, in the United States. So in Japan, you can get stem cell treatments like this. Um, in much of Latin America, you can get stem cell treatments like this. You can do this in Mexico. It's a very well-known um, treatment for internal injuries, especially tears of a ligament or cartilage or something like that. It's very effective. But the FDA, after this had been done for years, removed that as uh, they, they, they issued warnings and stopped clinics, you know, their version of their own specific cease and desist And now they've done the same thing with N-acetylcysteine. It's been used for, like, really commonplace to be used in um, supplements for about 30 years now. Um, So for them to remove it like this after these two groups um, asked for clarification... Let me pull up the article on my phone so I know what I'm talking about here. Um, The... What is it? The the Council for Responsible Nutrition and the Natural Products Association... um, they issued citizen petitions to the FDA for basically a final ruling on this. And as I understand it, both of these are some form of kind of consumer advocacy groups that wanted it. Um, they wanted it to be, oh yeah, they said they requested that the agency conclude NAC be considered a lawful dietary supplement under, and then they list the code of the food and drug and cos- food, drug and cosmetic act. Um, and the FDA essentially said no, but that they're not done on the ruling and, the, and in the language the FDA said um, NAC containing products represented as dietary supplements have been sold in the United States for more than 30 years and consumers continue to seek access to such products and from reading more into the article um, this is the article on nutraceuticals um, com. the basically the FDA argues that because people are making, um, claims or 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 statements that could be interpreted easily uh, in, easily interpreted as claims of um, you know being a cure for certain things like what Brady just said is different than what the FDA is is acting against here because Brady's not selling you NAC that he created in his lab and saying it will it you will stop smoking cigarettes or whatever or you will um, X Y or Z health claim. And it's because, again, like this could be common knowledge, um, but if the FDA doesn't approve that as a use for that substance, they're going to rule hard against it. And there's so much more, I'll shut up here but and, and pass the mic for a minute. There's so much more we could talk about uh, about how the FDA, just like every other major organ of the United States government, especially regulatory bodies, are totally captured by the the industries that they're supposed to be regulating. Um, There's a number of ways that this happens. We can get into how this works in the FDA with, you know, major pharmaceutical manufacturers um, basically running the FDA. They provide around 70% um, of the funding that the FDA needs to run every year. And they also sit on uh, regulatory panels within the FDA. So when a new when a new drug is um, you know that's manufactured by a pharmaceutical companies coming up for review, there's often people from that pharmaceutical company and their competitors on the the regulatory panel, and they just kind of scratch each other's backs ad nauseum. So uh, it seems to me that NAC being used so prevalently for thirty years, and you know I'm sure we could look and find some outlier cases where it's attributed to serious harm just as with every single substance or food with a large human population, there are some people that are going to have adverse effects or reactions to it. Um, but it seems to me to have a, a pretty good safety profile as it were. So I am a little worried about this, but, um, I don't know, we can talk about it more like from what these two consumer groups said, it seems like they are, um, it seems like they're both a little, they're a little worried and they're, they're basically a little angry that this ruling didn't happen years ago, but they viewed this stage in the process and this ruling by the FDA as a win for um, consumer access to N-acetylcysteine. So they, they view the, the overall trajectory of this process as positive. Um, but anyways, Brady, your thoughts on everything I just said or anything else in the article?
0: Yeah, that was a great setup. Um, and so I figured just to kind of give people a little more of an idea – of what we're talking about. I'll just kind of read some parts from the article just to kind of skim over it for the peeps. And of course, I tagged these articles up at the top. And this is the first one about the FDA issuing the response. Andrew went over it really well, actually. Um, in, In the interim, in light of absence of safety concerns based on our review to date, FDA is considering exercising enforcement discretion for NAC containing products labeled as dietary supplements that would be lawfully marketed dietary supplements if NAC were not excluded from the definition of dietary supplement and are not otherwise uh, violative of the FD and C Act. The FDA intends to issue guidance about its policy on NAC containing products labeled as dietary supplements in the near future. So, if we don't raise hell. If we don't all get really loud and angry about this, then the FDC will continue this action and they may very well um, bring an AC to a point where it could be a controlled substance and you might have to get a doctor's prescription before you can pick some up. And that's a scary situation. Um, I'll go into why it's a scary situation later. Um, the main thing I wanted to touch on and the kind of the, the system of the podcast today is to kind of there's a long list of uh, substances the FDA has banned. And I wanted to start with NAC, work my way to curcumin, and we'll kind of go on to the rest. And so to start with NAC, we'll just kind of start with what is NAC. And I need to post a link to this article for you guys in the comments. And this is just the WebMD um, version of NAC and they actually post some rather questionable science um, on WebMD. So, I mean, it is a, not a perfect source, but, um, oh Lord, sorry, I suck at typing. Okay, let's see. Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> N-acetylcysteine, or NAC, comes from the amino acid L-cysteine, and amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. NAC has many uses and is an FDA-approved drug. N-acetylcysteine is an antioxidant that might play a role in preventing cancer. As a drug, it's used by healthcare providers to treat acetaminophen or Tylenol poisoning. It works by binding to the poisonous forms of acetaminophen that are found in the liver. People commonly use the inacetylcysteine for cough and other lung conditions. It's also used for flu, dry eye, many other conditions, but there's no good scientific evidence to support many of these uses. There's also no good evidence to support using inacetylcysteine for COVID-19. Although many dietary supplements, uh, supplement products contain NAC. The US FDA states that it is illegal for dietary supplements to contain in acetylcysteine since it is technically an approved drug. Prescription in acetylcysteine products are available under the guidance of a healthcare provider. And that fucking sucks because as you can see here, they're saying that it's not useful at all to you know in, in the case of COVID-19. But there's plenty of other legitimate doctors out there that would argue against that and I'll actually provide five different ways that are scientifically verifiable. We might be able to go over some of those ways here in a little bit. Um,
1: I think we should, really, well, if you want to take a, a slight tangent here and talk a little bit more about uh, um, there's been a, a ton of back and forth talk um, in the news and in people's just lives about COVID-19, what treats it, et cetera. Um, I think that the, the main thing that we should get into here is that clinical, the clinical experience of a doctor is an extremely valuable resource and the data that they have just from the way that they keep records at hospitals means that there is a, a huge possibility for, um, studying that data and getting a really broad, um, analysis that, could be uh, akin to or spawn meta-analyses and uh, meta-analyses that are well done are kind of like the gold standard for um, finding consensus in the scientific community on, on like the efficacy of a medical procedure or a drug or something. And the, the problem is beyond a sort of grassroots movement of doctors to do this. Um, you need a lot of funding to conduct a large clinical trial on any type of drug for any type of purpose. And like I mentioned earlier, the FDA is very um, sticky about uh, what it approves and what it approves that substance for. It, it will almost never just um, say, Oh, well aspirin is safe. So it's approved for anything because it has one of the best safety profiles of any medication. they they won't say that about aspirin, even though that's true. (laughs) That's just not how the FDA operates. But um, with regards to products, you know, being safe for COVID-19, it's very clear that this is an instance where the sort of corporate capture of the structure of the FDA and its regulatory capacities was heavily used in a for-profit direction and not in the direction of what's the best for public health, what's the best for you know consumers of medications or doctors who are going to prescribe medications. So take ivermectin, for instance. Ivermectin is another drug that has a safety profile that's nearly unmatched other than by things like aspirin. Um, it's been given out billions and billions of times um, to hundreds of millions of people because it's a very effective anti-parasitic um, antiviral. And so in Japan, because the way that their medical system works, they're not in, in the US too, there are doctors who have been, and in Mexico, it's even more common prescribing ivermectin to COVID patients. Um, and there's a lot of them saying that it's been working very well, especially if it's given a little bit earlier. Um, there's also studies, even studies from the NIH that you can read that show that in vitro, it stops viral replication of uh, COVID-19, and it, it, sh- it describes the mechanism by which the compound in ivermectin, or the compound that is ivermectin actually does that chemically to the virus. But the FDA can get away with saying, well, we don't like the the data that's out there, the clinical trials that have happened are small, and the people who fund the FDA, the, the pharmaceutical giants, they're not willing to put up money for a clinical trial specifically about ivermectin treating... COVID. So now it's come down to what I mentioned before, there's these kind of grassroots studies from clinical data um, that already exists in the, in the regular course of doctors doing their thing. So a lot of enough doctors have, have prescribed ivermectin and produced data on it in their clinical practice for COVID-19 that now there's a a clear picture that it, it should be, um, it should probably be prescribed Ad nauseum because it, it has such a good safety profile, um, and there's a large body of clinical data and some um, lab data that shows that it does this. But the, just the way that the FDA is overly specific, and again, you know, Japan is consi- it, it's a capitalist country, so we're not talking about any difference between systems. But they their their system is respected by U.S. capitalists, and yet they won't mention that. The head of the Tokyo Doctors Association um, argued for the use of, me- of ivermectin to treat COVID when they were in the midst of an extremely um, really large wave of COVID infections, and their hospitals were packed full, and they were having excess deaths. When, after they prescribed ivermectin, at the advice of the head of the Tokyo Doctors Association, um, the cases dropped really rapidly. So there's there's not only clinical data, there's these kind of case studies like that or like countries in Africa or other parts of the global south where there's it's more common to get parasitic infections that ivermectin is commonly used for already. And the fact that these countries happen to and it's again, there's so many factors that can go into it. But um, same thing with acetylcysteine because we know how um, now we know how COVID can affect all these different organs of the body. Um through different inflammations and that the, the effect it has on the lungs is similar to the effect that it has on capillaries and, and, um, and small blood vessels, like in the extremities, like in the feet, like if you've ever seen like pictures of COVID toe or whatever, Uh, realizing that it makes a little sense to me why N-acetylcysteine could be used for that, but without a gigantic pharmaceutical backer, there's going to be no 30, 40, 50,000 person, uh, One time clinical trial that the FDA will actually use. There is enough data for these drugs. I don't know about N acetylcysteine. It seems like it's very commonly used as a dietary supplement, but it's something that would be prescribed for COVID, maybe a little less common. Um, but certainly, Ivermectin, there's plenty of data. Um, for those who just popped back in, I, I'm, we were talking about N acetylcysteine getting a kind of a lot of these products getting that contain it, getting a warning from the FDA. Um, to stop producing. And then all of a sudden um, market platforms like Amazon and still brick and mortar stores stop carrying a lot of NSCL cysteine products preemptively. So they don't waste money if it gets banned later. Um, and we've also talked about how other countries like Japan, um, their the way that their version of the FDA works and their medical associations work is that if a product is determined to be safe, like for instance, aspirin, then you can use it for a large variety of things. But in the FDA's case in the United States, um, they get really finicky about what they will approve, um, you know, a specific substance to be used for. Anyways, I'm talking really long again, but the, the general point is that for a clinical trial to be used by the FDA, um, it's very difficult to get a large enough one without a, a really wealthy financial backer. And they just don't have a financial interest in, in fact, they have a negative financial incentive to, um, to fund the study of something like ivermectin or cysteine to be used as a, as a, as a therapeutic for COVID.
0: Excellent setup. No, you're doing a great job. I really appreciate you. And that's all Good information. And for everyone who's just getting here and might still be curious about NAC, um, I'll go over some of the things that we have proven uh, its efficacy for. Um, One thing is, of course, Tylenol poisoning, acetaminophen poisoning. If you take NAC by mouth, it reduces the death rate and prevents permanent harm caused by acetaminophen poisoning. Prescription products must be given by a healthcare provider, blah, blah, blah. It's also good for partial or complete or partial lung collapse. Inhaling a prescription form of NAC helps treat collapsed lungs caused by mucus blockage. And, um, for some of, uh, it's good for lung tests. Inhaling a prescription form of NAC is helpful to prepare people for a diagnostic lung test. It's good for care of people with a tube placed in their windpipe. Okay. So, uh, tracheot- uh, tracheos, tracheostomy, tracheostomy care. Inhaling NAC helps prevent crusting in people with a tube in the windpipe. And, um, so, I mean, that sounds like something that we could have used for all those people on the breathing machines. I'm not sure, but, um, sounds like it could have been useful for that. Um, things that it is possibly useful for is chest pain, taking NAC, Uh, Seems to help prevent nitroglycerin tolerance. It might increase the risk of headaches and low blood pressure. Um, It's good for, it's possibly good for autism. Uh, NAC taken by mouth might improve irritability in children and adolescents with autism, but it doesn't seem to help other autism symptoms. Uh, It's good for swelling of the main airways in the lung or bronchitis. Uh, NAC by mouth seems to reduce shortness of breath and coughing from this condition. Also taking n cysteine by mouth three for three the 36 months seems to prevent flare ups as well. Uh, it's good for lung disease that makes it harder to breathe. It's called chronic, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD. NAC by the mouth for at least six months seems to decrease flare ups by about 40% in people with moderate to severe COPD. It's, it's good for kidney damage caused by, uh, contrast dyes, uh, and taking anal by in my mouth with or without drugs might help prevent kidney problems caused by dyes using some uh, during some x-ray exams, but only seems to help people who already have poor kidney function. Um, it's good for high levels of cholesterol. It's good for toxicity in people taking the cancer drug ifex. It's good for the flu. It's good against influenza. Taking NAC uh, by mouth seems to reduce flu symptoms. It's good for kidney failure. Sustained by mouth seems to prevent following problems such as heart attack and stroke with people with kidney failure. It's good against heart attack. Um, NAC by the mouth, along with drug nitroglycerin, seems to help maintain heart function and reduce heart damage in people having a heart attack. Sometimes the drug, um, it's possibly ineffective for Lou Gehrig's disease, heart damage, lung disease, cannabis use disorder, <laughs> cystic fibrosis. But there's a lot of people that claim that it's good for helping people get off of cocaine and uh, alcohol, other things like that. So this is just a short list of uh, things that it might be. I'll tell you this. It made me a better musician. Um, I also had a – I, I noticed that it helped me to reduce my sugar intake. It helped me to um, become a less angry person. It helped me to kind of realize what a douchebag I was. So it has a very interesting introspective aspect to it. It made my dreams more vivid. My dreams became mildly hallucinogenic. And um, it is it, it mimics a microdose of mushrooms. It gives you kind of a Adderall-like focus throughout the day. that is very clean with no crash. And um, let's see, what else? Like I said, it made me a better musician, made me better at singing and playing guitar at the same time. Um, my girlfriend at the time had, uh, asthma and from time to time she would lose her asthma medication. And so one day we called her doctor and asked her if she could take NAC for her asthma. He, he checked it out. He said, yeah, it should be okay to use. If you feel like it's working for you, go ahead and use it uh, as needed. And so she would take some NAC whenever she didn't have access to her asthma medication. And she said it really helped her. So it helped, it would absolutely help her get through those times where she didn't have access to her regular asthma medication. So who knows how many lives this could save, you know, in general. And I think um, putting the paywall of a doctor between people and NAC is a huge mistake, um, personally. But I'm going to try to keep it scientific, as scientific as I possibly can. Um, so, uh, just to push hey, let me back hop in on, real quick. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, no, I'll, I'll let you hop in and I'll, I'll keep it in mind. You can go, go for it before you lose the track.
1: Sure. I was just going to recommend, uh, if anyone has not ever used the website, pubchem.org. dot, what is it? Dot org. What is it? Oh shit. No, it's dot Gov. I didn't even realize that. Um, <laughs> Pubchem is a resource that I began using when I was taking some kind of intro and biological Uh, biology related chemistry courses in college. And it's just like really broad, but also um, like straight to the point info. So uh, they'll start out with kind of, I would encourage you if you're ever just uh, wondering about an ingredient in food or a health um, supplement or whatever, anything like cancer causing like dioxin or something, look it up on PubChem because they have Everything from the, the chemical structure in like 2D and 3D form or like a crystalline, like try to make it look like an accurate representation of the molecule to the what's the molecular formula. But it also has like a very kind of lay, layman's terms description. So I'll just read a little bit from PubChem um, PubChem's description of N-acetylcysteine. Um it's a synthetic and acetyl derivative and pro drug of the endogenous amino acid L-cysteine. So my interpretation of endogenous amino acid is that it is naturally produced in biological systems of a human. Um, it's also a precursor of the antioxidant glutathione. So that means if your body produces L-cysteine or, um, from other materials, or if you consume it as is. Um, it will reduce the uh, energy inputs necessary to produce an antioxidant glutathione. Uh, It has mucolytic, antioxidant, and potential cytoprotective, cancer preventive, and anti-inflammatory activities. Um, So then it goes into what's the chemical process? How how does it work? So it does talk about how it results in liquefying mucus and reducing its viscosity, so that can help if you have serious congestion. Um, and, and they do talk about the treatment for acetaminophen. So I, I think it's very valuable to have both of these things, right? Like Brady, you were just giving a whole bunch of, um, kind of self-assessed, uh, side effects of taking, uh, NAC. And if I could just riff a little bit on maybe how some of those occurred, you said that it made you, um, like calmer, more introspective. Um, I don't know if, yes. you, if all of um. Any of you it, all
0: also, have... I just have to add in that it made sex even better. And by the way, huge aphrodisiac. <laughs> Ladies, get some for your man. I'm letting you know, it's amazing.
1: That's good to know. I'm gonna have to go. I, it's uh, by the way, it is is now and will continue to be available in Mexico, regardless of the FDA uh, warning. So not only are people going to Mexico to get insulin and other pharmaceuticals plus gas now because it's cheaper, but pretty soon you may be having a lot of people coming into Mexico to get NAC. Um, But just talking a little bit about how if it's an antioxidant and anti inflammatory, how could this, uh, how do I see this from like a very, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a noob when it comes to chemistry. I have friends who like actually do work in chemistry and I just never got to the point of studying deep enough into it to understand what, what they understand. But I do have a somewhat of a, of a basic grasp. And if you are, if I'll, I'll use an, an analogy as well before I try to butcher the the scientific terms. If you've ever gone from just not sleeping enough to like three, four days in a row, getting a good night's sleep. And you realize like after the fact, now that you're experiencing this well-rested state again, you know, you're like, why the fuck was I doing that to myself? Or the same thing if you ever go from being like really dehydrated for weeks, you know, you're drinking maybe a few glasses of water a day, drinking coffee and other shit like that. And then you go to drinking like full water bottle two, three times a day of whatever, whatever size of water bottle floats your boat. Um, And you're like, wow, I am like smarter. (laughs) I'm, I'm faster. I am less tired, et cetera, et cetera. You can go on and on and on down the line. There's similar reasons for why I I see it being very plausible that NAC had more to do with Brady's uh, reported um, effects than just like a placebo. And I'll just start with like the kind of irritability or being calmer or more reasoned or, or better with music. Like if you have an anti-inflammatory and antioxidant, it's preventing um, in all parts of your body, but particularly in your brain and your nervous system, it's kind of preventing... The, you know, it might be like rare statistically, but since you have so many chemical interactions in your body going on at once, there's occasionally things that go wrong, you know? Like, um, for instance, uh, if you're just breathing normal air, there's a little bit of carbon monoxide in it. And occasionally that carbon monoxide will bond to your hemoglobin in your blood instead of O2 oxygen. And in that case, it's, it's much more difficult for your body to remove the CO minus the carbon monoxide from your, your blood, then it is a very simple task for your body to remove the oxygen from your blood after it's already been used to oxygenate your tissue. Um, Other stuff like that can happen all the time. You might have neurotransmitters over flood a receptor. Um, You may have uh, oxidization or sorry, oxidation um, or reduction, which are, two parts of the same coin. If, if you say that you're like really dehydrated, you might have more um, redox reactions, harming your individual cells in your body. And then all of a sudden, if you hydrate yourself or, and at the same time, you're taking an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, you're going to be reducing all of the pain. And just imagine like if your body has traffic jams inside of it, and then all of a sudden those are just cleared away. Um, so that, that's, there's multiple reasons I could see NAC having these other effects that they seem like really subjective and it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe that was it from something else or, um, whatever. I I would say that I could, I could very well see that plausibly being like a a primary secondary effect of taking something like NAC because it has this anti-inflammatory and antioxidant actions.
0: And I'll add one more fun anecdotal side effect of NAC is that it makes you twice as high for twice as long when you smoke weed. So if you smoke weed after taking NAC, it's going to clean your lungs out. And the next time you smoke, just heads up because <laughs> it's going to slap hard. Um, and I love it. I mean, how convenient is that? What a great way to save money on your cannabis um, with NAC. And so I have a lot of very interesting articles here about NAC Um, Some of these are absolutely blowing my mind. And so I'll start by reading off some of these and then I'll I'll dive a little deeper into them as we go. And so the first one here says an antioxidant shows promise as treatment for certain features of uh, autism in children. So there's the uh, article about um, NAC and its uh, relationship to autism. And I think we'll just go ahead and dive in. That's an interesting one. So we'll just dive straight into this one. And it comes from uh, Stanford University Medical Center, May of 2012. And it states here that an antioxidant NAC lowered irritability in children with autism, as well as reducing the children's repetitive behaviors. The searchers emphasize that the findings must be confirmed in a larger trial before NAC can be recommended for children with autism. But um, let's see, I'll scroll down to the bottom here. The study tested children with autism ages three to 12. They are physically healthy, they're not planning any changes in their established treatments during the trial. Um, children derived NAC or placebo for 12 weeks. Um, every four weeks, during the study, using several standardized surveys that measure problem behaviors, social behaviors, autistic preoccupations, and drug side effects, um, it decreased irritability scores from 13.1 to 7.2 on the apparent behavior checklist. So that's almost 50. I'd say that's uh, about 50%, pretty damn close to 50% or 40% which it it tends to have about a 40% effect on a lot of different things. And so um, just to be on the critical side of things, I'd like to read this article here about how um, this is from the University of Virginia Health System in 2007. And certain preparations taken to enhance athletic performance or stave off disease contain an antioxidant that could cause harm. According to new research at the University of Virginia Health System, inositol or NAC is an antioxidant commonly used in nutritional and bodybuilding supplements. It can form a red blood cell-derived molecule that makes blood vessels think they are not getting enough oxygen, and this leads to pulmonary arterial hypertension or PAH, a serious condition characterized by high blood pressure in the arteries that carry blood to the lungs. NAC fools the body into thinking that it has an oxygen shortage. Uh, We found that an NAC product formed by red blood cells known as nitrosothiol bypasses the normal regulation of oxygen sensing. It tells the arteries in the lung to remodel. They become narrow, increasing the blood's pressure on the lungs and causing the right side of the heart to swell. And I can also attest that... um, there's a little bit of a uh, chest pain on the right side of my heart every now and then. So maybe um, I need to find a way to mitigate the possible link to um, PAH or pulmonary arterial hypertension. Uh, seems like there's no way of curing this um, exercise be- seems to be a good way of mitigating it. Um, but yeah, it's something that I need to dive into a little deeper and just keep an eye on in the future. And I'm going to read one more article that just recently came out. It's super interesting. Absolutely blowing my mind about NAC. I'm just going to have to search it again. It looks like my phone's acting a little weird. Let's see. Sorry about the dead air, guys. I'll pull it right up. Um, it says here, Parkinson's. Here it is. Okay. So cell biology. Uh, this is from the University of Cons- uh, Constance. From February 24th of 2022. And they say, uh, the gatekeeper of protein factory. How are proteins, how are proteins sorted in the cell? International research team solves this decade old puzzle. Researchers solve the more than 25 year old puzzle of how proteins are stored in the cell or sorted in the cell. A protein complex known as, uh, NAC nascent. Polypeptide associated complex. Oh, I'm sorry, it's a different kind of NAC. Uh, this is a completely unrelated NAC, so that was my mistake. <laughs> but it, uh, here's another article that shows N acetylcysteine shows early promise in reducing alcohol use in marijuana dependent teens. So that's kind of cool. So they took a bunch of teens who were uh, dependent on marijuana, they found that using NAC reduced their use of alcohol in teens. So Did you yeah, that. That one?
1: I, I'm going to have to look at that one.
0: The one about alcohol.
1: It, well, you, th- are they crossing wires or like, I don't know. I, I took part in a study uh, in college at one point um, of students from a few different universities that you could just opt in and you just log into this app daily. Like if you were using marijuana uh. or nicotine and how much, and they they wanted to know the behaviors surrounding users of one individually or both specifically. So they may have been doing a study like that where they're like, well, how do we you know because how do we differentiate the effects of drugs if people are taking multiple concurrently? So this is this is an interesting problem in a lot of uh, parts of the study of uh, of the use of drugs or and I'm using the word drugs like really broadly, not just um, not just like what we think of as recreational drugs. But what you said there was, um, NAC may reduce the use of alcohol in marijuana dependent teens. And I'm like, did they just fuck up or did I not understand what their studies about?
0: It seems like, um, what happened is that they were studying, um, marijuana cessation. And what they actually found was that, um, they discovered, uh, that kids were using less alcohol. Um, but I, I, I just posted a link to that in, oh, shit, the uh, chat. Sorry, I thought I just closed the callin' app for a second. Yeah, I just posted a link to that in the chat for you to check out. And yes. um, I mean, also, this is I, so – go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, speaking of accidentally closing the call-in app, I asked uh, Charlie Weiser, who is a callin in um, team member, I asked him to move the hang up button to the other side of the, the, bottom yeah. of the screen away, away from the unmute button. Cause
0: I, I yes. probably
1: like more than 10 or 15 times I've hung up on a call or left the speaker, uh, when I was just trying to mute or unmute myself, but sorry, you what were you yes. just about to say? I didn't want to
0: interrupt. Oh, nothing. I was just kind of going down the list of amazing things about NAC. We have here a decongestant revealed as highly effective in starving cancer cells. NAC is a routinely used dietary supplement, and they're talking about its use with breast cancer. It may prevent, even cure cataracts. Um, Shows early promise in reducing alcohol use. Okay, we read that one. Um, Could potentially be uh, useful in Parkinson's disease. Uh, there is accounting for taste, new therapeutic properties of NSL systems. All right. So anyway, I hope I've given you guys, I think I've given you guys a really good screenshot of what NAC is and what it does and, um, why the FDA is targeting it. And of course it's been targeted as a hangover cure, which I can attest. It works great as a hangover cure as well. Um, uh, but that is one of the reasons that it's being targeted. Um, the other reasons it's being targeted, I'm not so sure. Andrew, were you, were you aware of the other reasons that it was being? Um, a warning letter was issued. I'm trying to go I mean, into why. From
1: what I from what I understand, I, I didn't actually pay as much attention to the specific. Health claims that the FDA was contesting. It's not even Mm. necessarily that they're contesting that it is in fact a hangover cure. They're just saying we haven't approved it to be a hangover cure. Therefore, you cannot sell it as, quote, a hangover cure. So Mm. I think it's petty. I think that's something that should be changed about the FDA in general. Model it more after the Japanese um, system where they are um, where they are they're giving it a, a safety rating and based off of that safety rating, they then define um how broadly you can use it or, or they might give you like a time period of not you, but like the entire medical pharmaceutical um health industries, give them a time period of several years to try it for different things and then go, come, go back and reassess. How is it working for those? They, they give it like, uh, rather than just completely shutting down what's going on, they, they, and and actually in that article, the authors of the article, let me go back to where I said this. Uh, where is it? I, I accidentally went a couple of like
0: links forward yeah, re- in the. It's okay. I'm reading here that it says because it was first used as a pharmaceutical ingredient in 1963 and is therefore not a legal dietary ingredient. So because they did use it as a pharmaceutical ingredient as far as back as 1963, they're, they're arguing that it, is, it can't be used as any kind of dietary ingredient or dietary supplement.
1: I, I need to, Sorry, I need to go back to the, um, the link because for whatever reason, okay. I can't navigate back in my web browser. Um,
0: no worries. I'm, I'm going to post the link to this article as well in the comments for people who just want to follow along or uh, dig a little deeper. And then I think it would be safe to move on to curcumin. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm happy. I I have, I think, more interesting thoughts about that anyways.
0: Excellent. Let's (laughs) Let's move right on to curcumin. So uh, turmeric is one of my favorite uh, things to grow in my garden. It's always been one of my favorite flavors, uh, favorite teas, favorite things. You know, I love turmeric one of my favorite plants um, of all time. So when I heard that the FDA was banning curcumin or curcumin, the active ingredient in turmeric, I flipped out. I was like, I I couldn't believe it was real. I thought it was a conspiracy theory, as they like to say, as in the uh, FBI definition of conspiracy theory. I I thought, this can't be true. And then I looked into it a little deeper, and this is what I found – Here is an article that says uh, from Pure. um, turmeric ban rumors and FDA warning letters. Um, To get us started, let's see, talk about when you grapple the phrase turmeric FDA ban, article comes up. All right. I feel like I have a bad article here. I'm going to, is circumvent a banned substance? Um, Let's see. All right. Curcuminoids have been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration as generally recognized as safe, and good tolerability and safety profiles have been shown by clinical trials, even at doses between 4,000 and 8,000 milligrams a day, and of doses up to 12,000 milligrams a day. Of 95% concentration. <laughs> like This stuff seems pretty damn safe to humans. Let's see. Can it be harmful? It can cause nausea and diarrhea, especially in high doses after long-term use. Okay. I think we can all deal with a little nausea and diarrhea. So why is turmeric banned in the U.S.? Uh, this See, I think this is kind of word wrong. I think it's curcumin is what they mean here. But... The supplement has been banned by the United States Food and Drug Administration due to its role in the increasing, increasing the heart rate and blood pressure and the potential to cause cardiovascular side effects such as heart attack, heart attack and stroke. So can you take turmeric if you take blood pressure medication? Probably not a good idea to mix it with blood pressure medication. Um, what does the FDA say about turmeric? It may be safely used for coloring of foods. Yada, yada may not be used to color foods for which standards of and in perated okay
1: let
2: me
0: jump um, in here real quick much appreciated
1: um i I think you may be missing or misinterpreting because you didn't you didn't quote from the article a little further. This is from the Sinutra pure article, is it not, or is it a different article?
0: um I was reading from the Sinutra pure article initially. It looks like it was just the top results yeah. on Google, honestly.
1: Yeah, th- this is, so this is what they were saying. The Google uh, search presents an answer saying, if you search, is turmeric FDA approved? Um, the, the Google answer will be, this supplement has been banned by the United States Food and Drug Administration due to its role in increasing the heart rate and blood pressure and potential to cause cardiovascular side effects such as heart attack and stroke. And they said that the Google result is from medicine.net they said the statement is pulled right from the article yes but it has nothing to do with turmeric the article is well written and informative piece on the use of turmeric and other supplements while taking a cholesterol medication what the quote is actually in reference to however having nothing to do with turmeric is the supplement bitter orange bitter orange is an alleged weight loss and athletic performance product with no science to back it up um, it is the substance that the above quote is in direct reference to. However, bitter orange is also not banned by the FDA. Um, so where does it say? It okay, so it's at some point in the article. I, I came up with a better article for
0: you. I apologize for that first article, but I have a one from sciencebasedmedicine.org. Okay. It's a lot better. It's a much better article. Um, and they actually have a list of other... Um, naturopathic favorites that have been banned by the fda here so um from this article it says on september 5th the fda issued a proposed rule rejecting 11 substances nominated by the american association of naturopathic physicians and like-minded organizations for use in drug compounding including curcumin cesium chloride uh Uh, Curcumin was the active ingredient in an intravenous infusion that killed the patient of a California licensed naturopathic doctor. Cesium chloride is a dangerous and ineffective naturopathic and integrative cancer treatment. Previously the subject of an FDA safety alert. If finalized, which seems highly likely. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Cesium. Cesium is one of the radioactive metals way down there at the bottom of the periodic table. Um, It's like one of the common uh, side effects, not side effects. It's, it's like a byproduct of a nuclear fission explosion. Um, That would be something they may be using in chemotherapy as like a, or or like as a, almost like radioactive, you've heard of like radioactive therapy to kill tumors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe something like that, like a radiation
3: treatment.
0: Mm -hmm. But they claimed that, um, cesium chloride or cesium chloride is a dangerous and ineffective naturopathic and integrative cancer treatment, previously the subject of a safety alert by the FDA. So I don't know if it's uh, cesium itself or cesium chloride in particular. I think it's cesium chloride in particular, which might be like a derivative of that. I'm not sure if that, or maybe that is actually what they're using um, for cancer. But the entire list of the AANP's nominated substances can be found in this document under tab 2A. Um, so I'll post the link to that document for you guys in a second. Uh, the proposed ban comes on, a, on the heels of a recent FDA rule, several years in the making, establishing criteria for determining which substances can be used in compounded drugs. Based on the new criteria, several substances like uh, paracetam also nominated by the AANP, have already been banned. Uh, Compounded drugs are an exception to the Food and Drug and Cosmetics Act's requirement that prescription drugs undergo extensive safety. The FDA had the authority to regulate the substances in making compounded drugs for years, but for various reasons it chose to leave the oversight of traditional compounding mostly to the states which regulate the practices of medicine and pharmacy as opposed to the drugs they prescribe and sell. The regulatory void created a business opportunity of naturopaths and light-minded fringe medical practitioners. In 2013, the FDA finally decided to exercise its oversight and authority, invited nominations of bulk drug substances and inclusion in listed of agency performance. Blah 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 blah. Let's see. Um, at any rate, I'm going to jump to the list of rejects for you guys, and we'll just we'll just go over this list for you guys, and we'll jump back to curcumin. Um, So the first item on the list is seven keto DHEA evaluated for the treatment of Raynaud's phenomenon and weight loss also appears to be promoted by alternative practitioners for adrenal fatigue, which the FDA did not evaluate it presumably because it is a fake disease Uh, could not adequately assess safety and insufficient data to establish effectiveness. Pharmacy compounding industry community recommendation doesn't include on 503A bulk's list. Uh, Acetyl L-carnitine evaluated for Alzheimer's disease, chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy, and heptic encephalopathy may affect blood clotting and pro- pose a risk for seizures, ineffic- insufficient evidence of effectiveness. Uh, we have... A lanol L-glutamine evaluated for nutrition support in reducing infectious complications in critically ill and surgical patients. Toxicity concerns with potential impurities such as heavy metals, limited evidence of effectiveness are reasons of doing that. You see, in that case, I would simply regulate the production of the glutamine so that it doesn't contain those heavy metals, or at least that you can certify that it is uh, produced in a responsible way, as opposed to just banning it. That's just me, anyway. I'm digressing. Uh, Artemis, uh, Artemisinin, evaluated for malaria, uh, helminthic infections, protozoal infections, stomach ulcers, and cancer. Short half-life and poor oral bioavailability. Significant drug interactions, serious adverse events, including drug-induced hepatitis, hepatitis with repeat dosing. Likely effective for malaria, but FDA-approved drugs available for treatment. Um, a factor the FDA considers an evaluation. P, C, A, C don't include um, evaluation for rheumatoid arthritis. And oh, sorry, we're going to a new. Um, a new molecule here is called BWSE, nominated as Boswellia, evaluated for rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis because it's a naturally derived botanical substance. Physical and chemical characteristics can vary. Many induce abortion associated with gastrointestinal adverse events. Has a coagulant effect. May improve OA, but not effective in inhibiting rheumatoid arthritis. Um numerous FDA approved drugs for these conditions FDA notes that boswellia has been used for millennia practically in ayurvedic uh particularly in ayurvedic and traditional chinese medicine proving once again that thousands of years of use does not guarantee safety um we also have cesium chloride which we went over just earlier and then they also have uh christen on the list evaluated for use as aromatase inhibitor It's also compounded for bodybuilding and men's health and testosterone replacement. Potential for mutagenicity and neurotoxicity. Poor oral bioavailability and rapid metabolism and elimination. Insufficient information to evaluate safety and no clinical data that Kristen is effective in cancer treatment. Uh, Circumin, here we are going on to Circumin, evaluated for familiar. A uh, familial adenomatosis, uh, polyposis, uh, gastric metaplasia, oral leukoplakia, and it says here the FDA notes used for eczema, and thrombocytopenia, poor bioavailability, lack of exposure response for safety, lack of uniformity in product, lack of well-designed chemical trials, insufficient evidence, Uh, effective for proposed conditions, risk of use in lieu or of delay of FDA-approved treatments. So right there in their reasoning for removing uh, curcumin is that there is a risk that people will use it in lieu of or delay of FDA-approved treatments. Which sounds to me like a threat to their bottom line, or at least the bottom line of so the people who might be lining their pockets.
1: Let me jump in again, Brady. Uh, yeah, I am yeah. definitely not about to defend the FDA overall as an institution. Um, what I'm just going to say is from the from the same article. The um, where is it here? Oh, I, I went through another link to it from the science based medici- medicine medicine based Yeah. Um, what it's saying is they they removed these substances, and this is also in 2019. They were mm-hmm. doing this. They said they were removing it from compounded drugs. Compounded drugs, um, under the FDA's own ruling, they provide some level of an exception or like exemption um, from their requirements on extensive safety and efficacy. Because say that you add three or four medicines together that are all have already undergone the extensive safety and efficacy testing. Um, they might just allow you to do that because, oh, these four medicines have already been tested individually. They may not have been tested in concert with each other, but the FDA kind of allows some exemptions there. I think that it is reasonable in a world where the, F- let's imagine the FDA for a moment is not completely just run by pharmaceutical giants for their own profit for the most part. I mean, there are little corners of the NIH and the FDA where they're just like researchers doing their thing. They don't have a political or, or profit driven agenda, but the majority of the organizations are captured. I acknowledge that. But at the same time, it makes sense in a world where there is, you know, a, a wide of access availability to tons of different medications. Um, they do, have effects with each other in concert that can be, that can enhance the positive or negative aspects, uh, for your, for your own personal health of any type of drug. So one instance would be, that's a common one would be, um, alcohol and cocaine. If you have them together, uh, I need to look it up. Um, I can't remember the name of the compound that they create, but basically, um, if you take them together, it creates an, actually a different substance, um, and this substance is kind of uh, hyper It's called cocaethylene. So it can kind of hyperaccumulate in your liver, and it stays there longer. So you can, without having what would be, if it were just a lone dose of alcohol or a lone dose of cocaine in high quantities, would not be an overdose for you. But compounded, they create cocaethylene, which is actually a different substance in your liver, and it has a higher toxic effect. And it also accumulates for a longer period of time in your liver. And that's just one example. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that medicines interact. Um, But I think that I want to make a broader point also about the way that um, Western science has picked apart the literal base components and ingredients of all these different plants um, and how that actually has not helped our, our health. So uh, for instance, the, um, the place I'm from is Seattle, Washington in general um, it's on what's now called the Puget Sound, but it's also called the Salish Sea. And really the whole region extends from quite a ways up into Canada, all the way down into Washington and even into Oregon. You, you could really include like a linguistic and and kind of cultural ethnic region of the indigenous people there from the Willamette Valley up into British Columbia. And before colonization, it was common for people to live well over 100 years there. Elders, um, you know, there's this woman you can look up named Mary Kiona, K-I-O-N-A. She was from, uh, I believe, the Cowlitz tribe. They're kind of in, like, west, central, a little bit southern Washington. Um, she lived to be 125. Um, and she, she happened to live kind of towards the, the end of the era just before colonization um, these people were not taking plants and then deriving, a, a limited band of their components and then taking that as medicine. They're using plants, uh, on their own or in concert with each other as medicine. And, uh, I imagine Brady, you've taken some magic mushrooms in your day. Have you ever, have you also ever taken just like pure psilocybin? Like you can get a psilocybin extract to put it into chocolate or whatever.
0: Never have. Yeah, tried I mean, that.
1: it's not horrible, but I would say it's not quite as good. It feels different, and that's because there's a multitude of compounds in um, in magic mushrooms besides just psilocybin and psilocin that interact with each other and interact with receptors in your brain to to cause the psychedelic experience. It's the same thing with marijuana. If you smoke marijuana, there's dozens of cannabinoids and other compounds that interact with each other. The two most well known ones are. THC and CBD. Um, CBD has a lot of the good kind of anti-inflammatory and pain relieving effects. THC is the more psychoactive one that makes you feel like high, like mentally high. Um, if you just have THC on its own without any CBD, that can be a little, that that can actually be kind of bad for you. Um, if you just give straight THC to a dog, for example, they'll, they'll basically go into like a paranoid psychosis and they'll just freak It would be like really cruel to just do that to a dog. But if you give them um, CBD afterwards, it will calm them down substantially. Um, and it has the same effect on people like the more kind of paranoid aspects of a of a of a heavy high that tends to happen because especially in modern era, it's not just that weeds more potent now that causes people to kind of have a bad high sometimes one of the big issues is that we've we've bred weed strains to just produce THC and have almost no CBD because CBD not only kind of balances the high and also has some of these nicer, like, physiological effects like the pain reduction and anti-inflammatory properties, but it also, like, tempers THC. You can't get as high if there's CBD in it, but it also is, like, an overall, like, holistic, better experience. Um, and I'll bring this back a little bit. Yeah, that- so turmeric, um, it's a really... Potent blood thinner. So my dad had an issue with a blood clot, and my grandpa um, had another type of disease called amyloidosis in 2020 and 2021. So both of them, for different reasons, were taking blood thinners, and their doctors recommended to not eat uh, turmeric while they're on those medications because just on its own, it is a powerful medicine for a number of things, but one of them is a blood thinner. Um, and then. In in the natural form, in the natural practice of plant medicine, especially in India, turmeric and black pepper are eaten together really commonly. Um, you talked earlier about how curcumin or curcumin, however you pronounce it, um, it um, you know they've tested it for really high doses. Part of the reason they've done that is because. Um, our bodies are not so good at absorbing curcumin and, the, and some of the other compounds in turmeric just on their own. But if you have black pepper at the same time, and I'll read here, so I'm not um, talking totally out of my ass. Uh, the the compound in black pepper is called uh, piperine, p i p e r um, i n e. It enhances the absorption of curcumin, and so there's there's other things that happen when when we when we over. Uh, emphasize the Western science aspect of, me- or analysis of what, of medicine. I mean, it can teach us a lot of interesting things, but when we learn these things about these substances, it tends to just kind of back up what indigenous people have been doing with these medicines for a long time. So um, I've, I've heard people argue that, oh, tur- you shouldn't say turmeric can help to cure cancer or prevent other diseases because our bodies can't even, you can't even, you'd have to eat like hundred pounds of turmeric to get the dose because our bodies can't absorb it. They don't even understand how ignorant the statement is because it's taken in in uh, concert with black pepper, which allows the absorption of, tur- of curcumin in the body to exceed the level that's necessary to be a really potent um, preventer of disease and potentially anti-carcinogenic compound. So I, I know that I I apologize again. I tend to just talk. And go on tangents a little bit, but like, it makes sense to to have some regulation and strong recommendations for or against combining different types of medicines. Um, I'm again, I'm not arguing that the FDA isn't making some of these decisions. Um, I think especially the decision on NAC is a more cut and dry case of they don't really want to deal with any. Type of regulation about it because it's very popularly used, but it also is cutting into the bottom line of of pharmaceutical giants that make products that are marketed to do the same thing that NAC does, but with the regulation they did to prevent um, to prevent the the use of curcumin and cesium chloride and, and or chlorine and all these other things as compound medicines. They didn't actually ban the use of them entirely, but they're banning them um used mixed with other drugs unless that mixture is specifically studied. So I'll shut up for a minute and then and and pass the mic around and then I had one other thought about turmeric and and the kind of commodification or scientification of of plant medicine, but I'll save it for a minute.
0: All right, Andrew, I'm going to have to ask you to stop apologizing for talking because your insights are brilliant and it's the reason I brought you here and you're absolutely killing it. So hit us with that insight about uh, turmeric and the commodification of plant medif- medicine. Cause that's exactly what I was going to go into. It's a perfect segue.
1: <laughs> All right. Thanks, homie. I, I, yeah, I, I do also over apologize sometimes, but I, I just, <laughs> you know, I, I, I step on people's toes in like in person conversation. And then I also hear myself or others be like really egregious over talking or interrupting on here. So I just want to make sure, everyone's getting their thoughts out. But um, with regards to like commodification of plant medicine, I'm from Seattle. Washington was along with Colorado, I think the first like tied for first uh, to be the first states to legalize recreational use of marijuana. And before that, it was widely available uh, from medical dispensaries. And it was pretty well known. You could get a, a permit like a like a medical card really easily um in the era where it was sort of partly decriminalized um the regulations and taxes around it for the medical dispensaries were much less intense and therefore it was much more affordable and also there was a grassroots um ha ha uh industry of growing the marijuana um you know there were small time to medium time and some large scale maybe a little shadier growers uh but in general the people knew what they were doing it was very high quality safe product it was assessed by every um dispensary before it was sold and made you know so there was absolutely no risk of it being laced with anything um or you know have a little too much like chemical residues on it from any kind of herbicides or pesticides they're using in the process and then when it was legalized i think it was 2012 holy shit, that was 10 years ago it was around two thousand twelve. when it was legalized, a number of things happened that really changed the way that marijuana is produced in Washington State and sold, and increased the price dramatically. And the main things are that they they kind of um, de incentivized the medical industry. You can still get a medical permit and then go get kind of discounts at existing recreational dispensaries or go to strictly medical dispensaries, but it's just much more difficult to do that now. And they put a fifty percent tax on the grower and a 50%, oh, sorry, sorry, 25% tax on the grower and a 25% tax on the seller, meaning that there's a 50% tax specifically just on the production and sale of marijuana in the state. And this was done by the Liquor Control Board. So Washington State gave the responsibility of regulating um, the production and sale of marijuana to the Liquor Control Board. um, And I can guarantee you that they view it as a competing interest to their original like bedrock uh, gravy train. And then also there's like a 10% sales tax in most of Washington. So that's kind of just there already. So maybe it's not fair to include that and say 60, but there's at least a 50% tax increase on everything to do with the industry of marijuana. And that just cuts out everyone who doesn't have capital to throw around and buy a big time farm. So every single hippie, dirty feet, like nice Like Brady motherfucker in Washington could no longer really profit from growing and selling marijuana. So you cut out all of the wholesome people who are doing it as a labor of love and as a decentralized thing that can make, you know, a little bit of profit, a little bit of money for everyone and like support broad swaths of the state economy. And you made it into this like commodified product that literally there's also regulations like you cannot buy marijuana that is not encased in like two kinds of plastic. Even if it's in like a nice glass jar and it's got the label and like a A wood lid or whatever and so it's like as as you know hippy dippy recyclable or non-wasteful as possible you just can't sell it in the state without putting a plastic ring around it now and so i think like the i don't like the motivations for limiting something like curcumin in health supplements like in pills or whatever or in powder form but at the end of the day It would be better if people were doing what Brady's doing and growing like different interesting varieties of turmeric and, you know, selling them for on the cheap at a farmer's market or like just giving it to your neighbors or something. It would also be better if we went back to the grassroots um, growth of cannabis. I think Oregon did a little bit of a better job with it than Washington. There's still commodification. There's still some issues with that, but just it's there's less of the kind of sin tax on marijuana in Oregon than there is in Washington. And there's also just less bullshit. Like, I don't don't know. I I could go into more um, shitting on my own state or saying Oregon's kind of neat. They both have their problems, but I guess like if it it wouldn't be the end of the world to me, if all of a sudden, you know, there's millions of people across the country buying a turmeric supplement uh, at GNC or ordering it on Amazon or some other website and having it delivered to their house. And then all of a sudden that's no longer like legally allowed. And they have to just buy turmeric root from a a grocer or a local, like a garden or something or grow it themselves. I don't think that's the way that we should be doing policy and just like cutting something out. That's already going on without having any kind of public commentary about it or people understanding what's going on. But at the same time, I would be totally in favor of rolling back the clock 10 years on the situation with growing cannabis in Washington, just because of the way I saw that play out and same with like uh, plant medicines like turmeric and black pepper. Like I don't want you to be buying your turmeric and black pepper off of Amazon when it's a thing that's been grown and used as food and medicine in India for like thousands and thousands of years.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much. You're honestly saving me so much breath. <laughs> like you're just taking the words out of my mouth and I can just kick back and And kind of take care of the notes and whatnot. So big help tonight. I really appreciate all of your insight. Uh, Really, actually, you brought up a lot of things that I would have missed myself. So big shouts out to Andrew. Let's give Andrew a big thanks for backing me up tonight. He did a great job. And I'll uh, take a call. I'll let Sean pop in and uh, ask a question, make a comment. Anything you want to do, man. Floor is All yours
2: for sure for sure yeah andrew uh 100% in agreement i'm a I'm, I'm a colorado native so i've been watching this entire thing fucking play out and while we did vote on the same day colorado was like months and months ahead of you guys on the actual implementation so i think we take the win on that but but i do appreciate the the effort and the work but um Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. Like, in fact, Colorado and Denver and this probably Washington happened to Washington is Denver is now like New York City, where a bunch of rich people are buying up like apartment buildings and a whole bunch of other shit that they don't even live in just because of the fact it's going to increase in value. But the reason I bring that up is because like the marijuana industry in Colorado actually started like very grassroots. It's what I call like a staple industry. You know what I mean? It was like packaged here, was grown here, it was sold here, was managed here. So all of that money and that it was making massive amounts of money that was making in Colorado went directly to the pockets of like the working class people. You know what I mean? Because it was just new, it was just happening very quickly. So it it was, it was like the GM in Detroit, you know what I mean? It, It had huge impact. It revitalized areas of like the industrial areas of Colorado that hadn't seen any work in like freaking decades upon decades. And, and, it, and it changed a lot of stuff. But what happened was is it also brought a lot of people. And then people saw Colorado, especially rich people. The very rich people who have fought to keep marijuana legal decided to move to Colorado and Denver specifically to buy up a whole bunch of plots and areas because of the fact the economy was booming. Problem is they didn't give two craps about why the economy is booming. The economy is booming, booming because of the fact that we actually gave working people real jobs with actual decent money. And so, what has happened now, and this happens, and you know, I think just within the nature of the cannibalistic, capitalistic system we live in, it, is that entire like um, that anom- uh, anomaly has kind of began to fix itself. And the cannibalism of capitalism has made it more and more corporate. So every day, you know, the marijuana industry gets more and more corporate. We're not helping out the people who are thrown in prison. No, we're ensuring that the millionaires and billionaires who have the money to purchase these licenses, to jump through these hoops, they're the ones who are all making the money off of marijuana, even though it's like the black community who's worse hit by it. And in fact, if you look across uh, Denver, it's um, it's an immense amount of gentrification, insane amounts of gentrification. So marijuana, the thing that was used to prosecute or lock black people up is now being used as a mechanism to actually throw black people out of their fucking homes due to the general mechanisms of like, you know, just how stuff works. But I just, I, just, I guess that's all I kind of really had to say, just kind of add a little like Colorado perspective to your view on the whole thing. Cause I, I'm in complete agreement with you.
0: Yeah. Sounds cool, man. Uh, I appreciate your perspective. I mean, it sounds like the next episode needs to be about cannabis. <laughs> like we're gonna have to do a daily science report about cannabis next. That would be the perfect segue from this, I think. Yeah,
2: I, I didn't. I didn't want to knock you guys off your your guys's flow because I think you're doing a good job.
0: Oh, not at all. You're doing great, man. I appreciate your insight too.
2: <laughs> for sure, for sure, man. Appreciate it.
1: I'll, I'll just I'll, say real quick, and then I got to go to bed. Seattle has had for sure the same problem as Denver in the same time period, but I think for multiple different reasons with the whole influx of out of state or or just out of economic strata real estate developers coming in and buying everything and just kicking out businesses and people who have lived there and worked there for years and years, generations of families and just been like, Yeah, no, we own this now. And instead of your cool like Mexican restaurant from actual Mexican people. Now it's going to be a Chipotle and now there's a cool dispensary and a hip, more expensive coffee shop and this and that. And I don't, I, I, I guess I never thought in my own analysis of like Seattle that maybe a part of that was around the, the, the slight economic uptick from the cannabis industry taking legal form there. I never really thought of that intersecting that way, but there's other reasons that it happened, but it did also kind of happen in the same time. Like the 2008 um, financial crimes didn't really like super hit Seattle until about 2010. Um, I guess it's kind of similar because everyone was like waiting to see if there was actually going to be the government assistance on their mortgage like nine, 12, 18 months until they actually got kicked out. Um, But yeah, like I, and then marijuana was legalized like two years after that, but it's still like the same process in slow motion of just like, pulling people who've been clinging onto their house or their apartment or whatever, just like plucking them off, um, over the years and then replacing them with something else. But I'll have to research a little bit. And then when we do the next episode, come back and see if I, if I think that that really played more of a role. It'd be
2: definitely Definitely interesting to look. Yeah. I was just going to say,
1: that's definitely an interesting
2: point because, you know, the the one thing I'll say about the United States, I think more so than anything, is that our government is not a representation. It's not in my like. There's like, just get rid of that. Our government is a government by fiat currency, meaning that like. If you are in the ruling class, like the actual form of government, government is money. If you have a great deal of money, you're part of the class and the way that class works, the way the government works is the people with a lot of money consolidate wills and control over the rest of the population through poverty and manipulation. So I, I, would, I wouldn't doubt it at all. And something like marijuana given to the public to help raise them out of economic constraints is something that I think the ruling class would have a ton of issues with. And I think is one of the reasons that is, it so quickly became so corporatized. I think there was people in power greets those wills, you know, all up and down the the line. But, yeah, that's, that's all I got to say.
0: Well, I appreciate you popping in and paying attention, man. Uh, looks like Ginny just popped up, so we'll let Ginny um, come up and let us know if she has any questions or comments. What's up, Ginny? Floor is yours. Hey,
3: I'm I'm in Colorado too, and um, CBD kind of saved my life over the last couple of years. I've had an infection that just was recurring, and using the oil uh, was my pain relief, took down inflammation. And um, really helped. And so I've got just kind of like this love for the oil. The latest thing right now, though, is the gummies. Have you guys been watching that? They're so popular. Mm. They're advertised all over the internet.
0: The edible CBD gummies or the THC gummies? Yeah.
3: No, the the, all the above. gummies. Yeah, they're great. Okay. And I'm yeah, my so dog amazed. loves
0: them. I have some CBD treats for my dog. He absolutely loves them.
3: Yeah, the thing I believe that we, we just need to fight for is just all drugs being made legal, all substances yeah. legal. I believe the consumers are sophisticated enough to figure it out. It will really tamp down the illegal drug prices if they just open it up. I'd love to see the FDA just abolished. And I think if, if there's a problematic substance out there because of the Internet, quickly we can identify it and say, that's problematic. Let's get it off the market. We don't need these federal people coming in and messing with the markets. I hate that. And I, am really pleased everything I've heard tonight, especially you, Andrew, gosh, it was like a master level class on economics and, uh, you know, just all good things. So thank you for your thoughts. And, uh, I just, I hope we get to a place where you can just get rid of all, all these crazy government institutions.
0: That's why I brought him up. I think Andrew would just push back a little bit and say that maybe we just need the FDA to actually do their job as opposed to kind of being the corrupt entity that they are. Because, for example, like fentanyl, for example, like maybe it wouldn't be bad if someone had a small amount of fentanyl just for themselves, for their own pain mitigation, but if someone were manufacturing fentanyl in America, that, that could be an issue for a lot of reasons because fentanyl can be weaponized as a poison pretty easily, and um, it might be a good idea to just uh, have some regulations around these things, but when it comes to personal use, yeah, I'm totally with you. What do you think, yeah, Andrew?
1: I, I agree. I, I would say everyone check out the episode Brianna Joy Gray did, like, uh show, with Professor Carl, dang, I already forgot his last name. He was really interesting, though. He's been researching and administering all sorts of drugs in a clinical setting for, like, 30 years, and he argues for full-spectrum legalization, and I, I agree with you, Jenny, especially. It would, it would just tank the illegal market, and actually, um, AMLO in Mexico, as soon as he was president, and still he's been asking the U.S. to work on an agreement or a treaty to end the war on drugs and take the money out of the hands of the cartels. But I mean, I guess, like, for instance, with fentanyl, even even if you happen to get good information and not, like, marketing from a company that produces fentanyl, and that's hard to find on the Internet um, without any kind of, you know, regulation. Google is just selling the top results on search engines to whoever can pay. And so you're not really necessarily going to get good information but even if you do get good information fentanyl is such a concentrated opioid that you know a little bit absorbing through your finger can kill you Uh, it's it's extremely extremely concentrated so i would argue for like everything being legalized in every class of drugs but still heavily regulating the production of something like fentanyl like if you want uh opioid there's heroin morphine uh codeine all these different things that are easily derived from the poppy flower Um, But when you bring it into the territory of, like, fentanyl, that's actually, um, it has such a high uh, concentration that it's very toxic very quickly.
3: Well, my brother died of an overdose of an opioid, so I have pretty strong feelings about it. And um, he just OD'd on methadone at a methadone clinic. And so, um, you know, Mm -hmm. that was so-called responsible sharing of a drug, and, and it killed him. So, like I said, I I can understand why you'd want fentanyl to be controlled, but you can still get it anywhere. So I I just, I don't know. I I err on, I'd like to err on the side of freedom.
0: I like that. That's respectable. Especially considering what happened to your brother. We're sorry to hear about that. Um, And hopefully we can all work together to make our medical environment safer and more available to everyone. And, uh, I think with that, we'll just leave it at that. Um, I hope that everyone learned something. I know I certainly do every time I do one of these things, big shouts out to Andrew, big, thank you to Andrew. Uh, much appreciated for all that insight political insight as well on top of the science. Um, I have no problem blending a little politics in with the science. Um, and so it looks like, uh, there's a little bit of demand to do a episode just about cannabis. I think that would be great. So Next time we all meet up, we'll uh, we'll just talk about cannabis the whole time. How about that? <laughs> Looks like Andrew's getting ready for bed, and um, if no one else has any questions. I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for popping in, and hope everyone learns something cool. You guys have a cool night.